Second Chronicles. We have been studying the history of the the southern kingdom of Judah, as we mentioned, Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, more than likely written by Ezra. Um, we know that it was after the time of captivity, um, after the, the, the Israelites have returned from captivity in, in Babylon, kind of recounting their history, focusing again on the, on the southern tribes we've been looking at. La- lastly, the last couple of weeks, looking at the, the life of King Hezekiah, as it's recorded for us in, in, the, in the account in 2 Kings, the most godly king that Judah ever had, the southern kings, never one like him before or after. And we, we chronicled following the chronicler's report for us of his life and the, the amazing things that he did during his life as king and the things that God did because of his faith and because of the fact that he led the, the, the people in faith to follow again and turn back to the true and living God. And we saw last time, again, the Assyrian army had completely surrounded uh, Jerusalem. At least 185,000 soldiers of the most vicious, powerful army in the world at the time And one night, one angel, because they prayed and trusted in God, wiped out 185,000 Assyrians. We said last time, they woke up the next morning, they were all dead. (laughs) They woke up and they were dead. God showing his all-powerful hand. And we mentioned last time that Hezekiah, right prior to that incident happening, Isaiah, the prophet, went to him and told him that he was going to die. He had an illness and he was going to die from that illness. And he left. And, and we talked, Isaiah must have been struggling with that news that God gave him because here's this godly man, this godly leader, yet it was the word that God gave him to go and deliver. So he did. He was obedient. Hezekiah cried out to God and asked for mercy and asked to be healed. And God told Isaiah, go back around and tell him he's going to live for another 15 years. And he did. God's word, he lived another 15 years. After the events that we just spoke of, the wiping out of that Assyrian army, Three years after that event, we know because he's 12 years old, as we'll be introduced to him shortly, Hezekiah has a son. His name, Manasseh. Now, as we would obviously understand and know with as godly a man as Hezekiah was, as godly a leader as he was, no doubt as godly a father as Hezekiah was, his son had to probably be the second greatest ruler in all of Judah's history, right? Well, unfortunately, let's read. (laughs) Second Chronicles chapter 33. Well, we could see, let's lead into that verse 33 of chapter 32. So Hezekiah slept with his fathers. They buried him in the upper section of the tombs of the sons of David and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death and his son Manasseh became king in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Wow. It's almost like you you have to read that again. That doesn't make any sense. How in the world could could Hezekiah have this, this man, Manasseh, as his son? How, how could such a godly man have such a, a wicked and evil son? And just one thing right off the bat with that, guys, here's a perfect example. You, cannot, uh, you can't judge 
a parent by their children, and you can't judge children by their parents. As parents, we are called to be godly examples and to teach our children, but every child is accountable and responsible for their own decisions as they grow. No doubt, Manasseh had everything that he needed. Not only the, the godly example of his father, but one, of, one of, of Hezekiah's good friends, the prophet Isaiah. No doubt being poured into and taught again from a very early and young age. It, couldn't, it certainly wasn't for a lack of information or knowledge. Now, interesting, when we, look, when we hear the name Manasseh, we would think, you know, Bible students, this isn't the first time we've heard of that name, is it? As a matter of fact, we hear it often going all the way back to Genesis chapter 41, where we're first introduced to Manasseh, the oldest son of Joseph. Joseph of the, the, the 12 sons, remember the one sold into slavery by his brothers, sold into the Egyptians as, as a slave to the Egyptians by his own brothers. They were going to kill him first, but then they, they said, well, we better not do that. We can make some money off of this thing. Sent off to Egypt. Remember, he gets there, Potiphar's house, goes to, goes to work for him. And then all of a sudden, his wife starts hitting on him. And, and Joseph said, no, none of this. So he runs away, but she says he tried to rape me. So he gets thrown into prison. In prison, he works his way up because he's, he's such a godly man. He loves the Lord. He's, he's being honest. He works his way up in the, in the, as, as an inmate within the prison, but still overseeing many things. The baker and the wine taster for Pharaoh, hey, interprets their dreams. Don't forget about me while I'm, when you get out of here. They forgot about him when they got out. That Joseph, who eventually, as we know, becomes second in command in all of Egypt, only to Pharaoh. And it tells us that he names his firstborn son Manasseh because it says that God has allowed me to forget all of that stuff in the past. Manasseh means to forget, able to forget. God, because he has blessed me and the things that God is doing in my life right now, I can forget all of those things, all of that stuff that's happened in my past. And you know, it's interesting. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 speaks of forgetting and the importance of it in our lives. He said, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. I haven't completed the race. I don't have it all in my grasp yet. But one thing I do, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. Those things in our past, those things that can trip us up, those things that can, can consume us. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I reach, look forward and reach forward to what lies ahead, the upward call in Christ Jesus. And those are bad things and good things, by the way. Forgetting what lies behind, that does not mean that to have a total mind erase so that we, you know, you can't say, yeah, nothing like that ever. No, that's not forgetting. That's impossible for us to forget. Somebody, somebody hurts us deeply. We go through a very difficult time in our life or we go through a very high point or whatever it is. We can't forget those. What Paul is talking about is those things can't affect our life going forward. That those things need to be left in the past. And, and that's an important thing when for forgetting. The problem is, 
we have a tendency to remember the things we're supposed to forget and forget the things we're supposed to remember. And that's what happens here with Manasseh. He forgot the things he's supposed to remember. The godly example and the words that he's been given. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us why, why Hezekiah named him Manasseh. But he forgot all of the things that he should have remembered. Instead of remembering those things that he was taught and, and, and from a young age, no doubt. This 55-year reign that he will have is the longest reign of any of the kings of Judah. 55 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed from before Israel. He went back to all of the wickedness and the abominations of the Canaanites who were the most wicked people, the things that they did, just absolute abominations as it's told here. And he goes back and embraces all of those things. Verse three, he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made Asherim and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said, my name shall be in Jerusalem forever. This guy embraced every form of idolatry. And again, it tells us from 12 years old. It doesn't tell us when this started. It doesn't give us a date, but no doubt pretty soon after because he, he pretty much checks all of the, the wickedness boxes. As we're going to go through, there's pretty much not a commandment God ever made that he didn't set out to break. And we see here the idolatry going from the Baals, the Asherim. We'll see in a moment. The Asherim was a, the, the, this goddess, a fertility goddess that was worshipped through, through prostitution and orgies and all sorts of other kind of sexual deviancy. And, and the Baals, uh, the hosts of heaven, looking up and, and astrology, astronomy, looking at the stars and predicting things and all of that kind of stuff. Guys, we've mentioned, I mention this every time it comes across because I still hear it often. If you check your horoscope, stop. It's not harmless. It's not harmless. The Bible speaks against it. Do not, don't get involved in any type of trying to predict future things through, through any type of, of witchcraft divination is what he will embrace as well. The hosts of heaven, he built altars in the house of the Lord. He went up, on the, up near the temple and built altars there, right in the face of God. And again, it, it continues to even get worse. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he's all different altars, just any kind of God you could possibly imagine. He's worshiping on these altars in the house of the Lord. Verse six, he made his sons, plural, pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. We've talked of this before. Literally what happens, he was offering his sons as a burnt sacrifice to the god Molech. Again, part of the Canaanite worship that, that was an abomination to the Lord, that the Lord told the Israelites to come in and wipe them out because of that. He now embraces this worship again, even offering his own sons as burnt offerings. He practiced, here it is, witchcraft, divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Again, embracing every form of idolatry, murder, 
Um, it just on and on the list goes. Verse seven, then he put the carved image of the Asherah, Second Kings tells us, Second Kings 21.7 tells us that that was an Asherah. So again, that, that idol that was worshiped through sexual um, orgies and, and all of that in the temple. He made a carved image of the idol, which he made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed to your fathers. Note, if only they will observe to do all that I have commanded them according to all the law, the statutes, and the ordinances given through Moses. The chronicler Ezra more than likely tells us here, God made that promise. I will not take my children out of here as long as they worship me. As long as they don't turn to the idols of the peoples of the, that, that are being dispossessed, that, that, that we're driving out. As long as, if only they will observe. But verse 9, thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Here we have on the heels again of the godliest king the most ungodly king. Even to the point where it says he surpassed the evil than the nations that the Lord destroyed. And again, because they know better. Because Manasseh knew better. It's recorded for us in Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah comes on the scene at some point during Manasseh's reign. Uh, don't know, at, you know, again, at what point in, in where we're reading right now, where that took place, but it tells us in Jeremiah 15, then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And it shall be when they say to you, where should we go? Then you are to tell them, thus says the Lord, those destined for death to death. Those destined for the sword to the sword. Those destined for famine to famine. Those destined for captivity to captivity. I will appoint over them four kinds of doom, declares the Lord. The sword to slay, the dogs to drag off, the birds of the sky, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. Verse 4, chapter 15 of Jeremiah. I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. The judgment that, that Jeremiah proclaims is coming on the people of Judah because of the sins that Manasseh led them into. Now, before we go on to that, that, again, this is all just based on that, that is, the, if you would, the final, the final straw of the judgment that is proclaimed. We get a little more information as, we, as we've gone through our study. We've noted that Kings, 2 Kings has the same record, if you would, of the same incidents. But we, as we read both of them together, as it's important, we pick up information that one may be leaving out. So in 2 Kings chapter 21, it says this, beginning in verse 10. Now the Lord spoke through his servants, the prophets, saying... Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did, who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols, 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. That's a way of saying you wouldn't believe it if you heard it based on the, what, the, the calamity that is coming. I will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria and the plumber of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they will become as plunder and spoil to all their enemies. Verse 15 says this, because they have done evil in my sight and have been provoking me to anger since the day their fathers came from Egypt, even to this day. So we see in there that it's, it's not just because of these recent events. This is the exclamation point, if you would, on the end of their, their idolatry and their sinfulness and their rebellion going all the way back to the day that God took them out of Egypt. They have continually been, and we've been looking at this as we've been studying this over the, the past months and years, chronicling the history of the children of Israel, that, that it's just one after another after another. God rescues them. They, they repent. They turn back to the Lord. As soon as things get comfortable, they fall away again. We've seen this been replaying, replaying, replaying. But again, now, the, the most wicked king here, we see it coming to an end. One last thing, just again to cover Manasseh. Moreover, it says in verse 16 of 2 Kings, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So he led, he led the, the entire kingdom astray. But it says that he shed much innocent blood. It's not recorded for us in scripture, but tradition tells us that he had the prophet Isaiah sawn in two and executed him that way, shedding innocent blood. And no doubt much more than that as, it's, as it just even uses this reference, he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Manasseh, the most wicked, the most wicked. And again, the, just look at the list of things. Now, the reason I make such a big deal of that is because it is recorded for us this way. But notice what it says now in verse 10. Second Chronicles 33, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. God, in his long suffering and his patience and his, and his kindness, continues to extend this word to Manasseh and the people as they are pushed, as they are falling away further and further, sending prophets to them. When we get into the prophets, and we might take a look at one in the next couple of weeks as we kind of get into this, just to kind of, again, get a feel for, for that. But one after another, God keeps sending these prophets to the people and to the kings. Repent, turn around, don't keep going down this road. But notice it says, but they paid no attention. Verse 11, therefore... The Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. God spoke, gave the warning, but because the warning was ignored, God acted. 
God followed up with this. And notice it tells us that the, the Assyrians come back. Their army decimated. They will never be again the power that they were after what we looked at last week, the 185,000 wiped out. Babylon, as we've talked about, will eventually rise up. They're currently under Assyrian rule. They will eventually rise up, overtake Assyria, and the Babylonians will then be the, the world power. But as it still stands now, Assyria is still that world power. They send a contingent against the people of Jerusalem, but notice who they take away. Manasseh. Doesn't say that they captured multitudes. It doesn't say that they took the Jerusalem off in captivity. They took Manasseh. And we know God working through this. Now, I want to underscore a point here real quickly, because guys, this is how God works, especially with the children of God. First of all, he speaks to us. He warns us. He, he teaches us through his word and he shows us things. And, and if we are kind of starting to blow through some stop signs or miss certain things, God will send, again, the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our heart. Hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be going here. I shouldn't be in this relationship. I shouldn't be talking to this person. I shouldn't be going there at work. I shouldn't be listening to these jokes. I shouldn't be. We're going to get those checks. But we blow through those stop signs and we keep going, especially as followers of the Lord. He will act. Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. As a, as a loving father would discipline his children. Can I just let you in on something? It's a whole lot easier to do verse 10 than verse 11. Listening. <laughs> don't, don't force God's hand to get to verse 11 where the therefores have to come if we don't listen to God's, again, patient, loving hand. Because it tells us that he was taken off into captivity, taken to Babylon, because again, remember, still under Assyrian rule, taken away with hooks. Remember, we've talked about this. If you haven't been a part of the study, the Assyrians were brutal. They, if, if they allowed you to live, when they took you off to captivity, they would stick a hook through your jaw or through your nose and put you into just a line of people and drag you along. You got a hook through your jaw, you're going to go where they want you to go. You don't put up a whole lot of fight and resistance. And they, take a, they put a hook into him, drag him off, and take him to Babylon. Notice verse 12. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. In his distress. As he reached that point of distress, he entreated God. He cried out to God in his distress, in this moment. He's reached rock bottom, and it tells us that he humbled himself greatly. He's in this place. He's in this dungeon. He thinks can't get any worse. He's reached rock bottom, and he cries out to God. I have no doubt as he is sitting there, just wondering what in the world is going on. How did this all happen? Where did this all go? And as he is sitting there, I, I believe, as sure as I'm sitting here, the words of his father started ringing in his ears. Started coming back, all of the things that he was taught when he was a child. I even wonder if the words, the words of Isaiah, whom he had executed, 
rang in his ear. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I wonder if those words weren't resonating even in his heart as he was sitting there and thinking, how in the world, how could I even cry out to God? Would God even listen to me here in this dungeon, in this place where I am after all that I had done? wonder if the following words that Isaiah had rung in his ear says, for my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord, nor my thoughts, your thoughts. Doesn't make sense that he would listen to me, but his ways are so much higher. He said to cry out to me, to him. He said to turn to him, the wicked forsake his way. And it tells us again, he humbles himself greatly and he entreats the Lord. Verse 13, when he prayed to him, when Manasseh prayed to him, God, notice he was moved, he being God. He was moved by his entreaty, by his prayer, and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Can I just level with you? I am so glad God is God, and he's like he is, and he's not like I am. I don't know about you, certainly in my flesh, somebody treats me poorly, bad, I mean, really bad, really hurts me, really comes against me, really does that. Somebody calls me on my cell phone and I see it's them calling. You can leave a message. I might call you back. Maybe. After I make you suffer for a while. That's not God. I, I'm so blown away by this. Because this is our God. It says that he was moved. By Manasseh's prayer. He was moved by Manasseh's prayer. Do you know why Manasseh's prayer moved him? Because he was broken. And he was humble. And he came before God, broken and humbled, and said, I deserve nothing from you. But would you hear my prayer? God listened. And not only listened, again, he didn't just check his voicemail, he answered. And he restored him to being king. Micah, Micah chapter 7 says this, verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? And as we saw in, in Isaiah, not just pardons, abundantly pardons. And passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. 
He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, you know this God that you talk about? How could a God of love send anybody to hell? Have you ever, ever heard that? Man, I... I think a whole, a better way to look at that question is how can anybody go to hell when you look at the God who forgives Manasseh? I mean, God, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Man chooses to go. It's not, God doesn't desire that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God will do everything. And to extend again that continual hand of the opportunity to repent and turn until somebody takes their final breath. Psalm, Psalm 119, David writing, Psalm 119, verse 67. Again, we see as, as David now, no doubt, looking back, and you can almost say you no know, Manasseh could have written this because He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. (laughs) You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God did this to Manasseh because God loved Manasseh. And it was his desire that he would turn, that he would repent, that he would come back. And he did. He responded and God restored him. Now, just in your heart, as you're just going through this, and this is just that one of those rhetorical questions that we can all chew on just a little bit, but how do you react to that story? How do you react when you hear a story of somebody like Manasseh, somebody who was so wicked and caused so many people to turn away? And then he repents and, you know, you've perhaps a jail, we would call that a jailhouse conversion. Here we go. What does that do to your heart? Honestly, are you like, are you like Jonah? This is why I didn't go, because I knew you're a gracious God. I knew you'd forgive them if they turned. That's why I wasn't praying for them, because I knew that if they repented, you'd forgive them. Honestly. When we read stories of, of those types of things. Can I, can I tell you that it's perhaps because you don't understand what you've been forgiven of? One of the things that we have been going through in our study of Romans these last couple of weeks. It tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we still tend to think that there's something that we can brag about because I've jumped further than you. But we all fall short of the glory of God. And I'll tell you what, this story blesses me on a few fronts. One, because I've been forgiven much. I deserve nothing that I got from the grace of God. 
the, I didn't, I didn't kill a prophet. I didn't do certain things that Manasseh did, but I just assume not sit here and tell you the list of my sins that were forgiven. And I'll tell you another one, another reason why. I don't know if anybody has a prodigal. Anyone has a, a friend, a relative, a son, daughter, parent who's gone away, wandered away from God, or perhaps is totally, totally dismissing God? To know that God will not stop at anything to reach that person and we can continue to pray. Guys, if God can and will forgive Manasseh, he can and will forgive anyone who simply is humble enough and turns and repents. That's why, to me, this is such a beautiful story. Sure doesn't start well. (laughs) But we see, just again, this is who our God is. It says in verse 14, Now after this, he built the outer wall of the city of David and on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entrance of the fish gate. And he encircled the the Alphel with it and made it very high. He put an army, commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. He went back and he started taking out those things. Again, the sign of repentance, true repentance in somebody's life. They're going to go and take care of those things. We don't say, okay, God, I'm sorry, get me out of this mess. And then things start looking up and then we go going right back into that. No, he goes back. This is the sign of somebody who's truly repentant. He's going back. He's taking out all of those things. Even the, the, all, the, the, the altars and everything that were there, he removed the foreign gods, the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. He threw them outside the city. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high places, although only to the Lord their God. They turned back, but still now, this is the sin that we looked at of, of, of Jeroboam that we looked at over and over for the, the, of the northern tribes of Israel, worshiping God, but worshiping God their way, not the prescribed way on the high places. It's easier to lead people astray than it is to lead them back. Verse 17, or not 17, verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, even his prayer to his God in the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are among the records of the kings of Israel. His prayer also and how God was entreated by him in all his sin, his unfaithfulness and the sites on which he built high places and erected the ashram and the carved images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the records of Hosiah. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon, his son, became king in his place. Now again, here we have another example. Can you imagine now the discussions that Manasseh had with his son. Son, don't make the same mistakes I did. Don't learn the lessons the hard way that I did. You got to know that his son was a good king, right? Unfortunately, verse 21, 
Ammon was 22 years old, and when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, he only reigned two years, but notice he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done, and Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, but Ammon multiplied guilt. Finally, verse 24, his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. But the people of the land killed all the conspirators against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. So Ammon takes over for his father, but it says that he, in just two years, only reigned two years, but went right back to the wickedness of his father. We don't know, again, the years in Manasseh. We know he reigned longer than any king, but it doesn't break it down for us. And this year, this happened. In this year of his reign, this happened. But no doubt that Ammon saw a piece of both. But no doubt, again, had to hear from his father those things. But it says that he went right back to the sins of his father. And guys, there are so many lessons in here that we can look at. I guess... Just to touch on a few, if you're here tonight and you have never, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, if you've never made him Lord of your life, if you have been living a life you know doesn't please God and you're here for whatever reason, I know one of the reasons you're here, I've been praying for you today that you would be here to hear this. Or if you're a follower of the Lord, but you've wandered away, you know, again, your life is not pleasing to him. Please hear the word of the Lord tonight and repent and turn back. Or repent for the first time and invite the Lord Jesus into your heart. Please do not assume that you will have multiple years and multiple opportunities. You could say, well, Manasseh, obviously, look, I'll just wait till that happens to me. You're not guaranteed that. That's one of the lessons we can see. Ammon, we saw uh, Manasseh lived and reigned 55 years. Ammon too. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So please do not put this off. The Holy Spirit dealing with your heart tonight, deal with it tonight. Deal with it right now. You might say, well, you have no idea the sin that I've committed. You have no idea what I have done. And I don't know why, but the, the particular sin that's, on, that's been laid on my heart to speak to, whether it's somebody listening now, whether it's listening recorded, whether it's listening online, if you've been involved, if you have a woman had an abortion or man involved with a woman who's had, in, aborted a child, yes, that is sin but it's not the unforgivable sin. Manasseh, it says he had his sons pass through the fire. He offered his own sons as a burnt sacrifice to false gods. Simply repent. God will forgive you today. But you need to repent. But don't carry the guilt around anymore. The enemy wants to continue to convince you. And whatever that sin may be, I don't know why this particular one 
We can say, well, I didn't offer my sons to the fire, but abortion is such a horrible thing in our country, obviously. The millions of aborted children. But I also know the guilt that people carry around with that because of a decision they made in their past. You can have that guilt removed tonight. It's interesting when we look at this, the judgment that we read that's coming to that we read, it's coming to the people in Jeremiah 15, that judgment is still coming on the nation of Israel. It says, because of the sins of Manasseh, because of the sins of the people, I believe, I believe that judgment is coming on our country because of the choices we've made as a country, because of the sins of our country, because of all of that. I do believe revival is going to happen in our country as well. That's, we keep praying for that and, and we keep moving towards that and we keep sharing the gospel and we keep, I pray revival breaks out in our city and keeps spreading on out. But I do believe judgment is coming on our country because of the sins of our country. But you can have your sin forgiven tonight individually as Manasseh's were. I also, again, the great promise that we see here in this is do not, don't give up praying for that prodigal or that person that you know that has not yet responded to the Lord or has walked away from the Lord. You, have, you don't know what God is doing in somebody's life or the plans that God has. Because again, it's not God's heart or desire that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And can I say to, as a parent, as a friend of a prodigal, as all those examples. It's easy for us to get in the way of what God wants to do in someone's life to reach them. I wonder how many times it has to keep getting a little more difficult because parents, well-meaning parents, step in the way of what God is trying to do in someone's life to reach them. I wonder what Hezekiah would have done to prevent Manasseh from getting to this point. But I guarantee Hezekiah, knowing the outcome, would have said it was all worth it. (laughs) And anyone who would go through that as a parent or the recipient of God's discipline on the other side of it, when, when there is that repentance, guys, it's all worth it. Again, if you are truly broken and repentant, God hears your prayer and he answers. I want to stop there because chapter 34, good news. We can just look at verses one and two. Josiah, he's the next one. Verse two, he did right in the sight of the Lord. Woohoo! So come back next week and we'll, we'll look at the life of, of Josiah. But But right now, I want to pray, and I want anyone here, God God doing a work in any heart, whether it's here, online, watching online, or watching this recorded, would you let God do the work that he wants to do in your heart right now? Don't, Don't make verse 11 have to happen. Verse 10, if you simply respond to the word, God speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, would you pray with me? God, we thank you, first of all, for who you are. 
Lord, we thank you that you are a, a patient, long-suffering, loving God who desires that all would repent and come and turn back to you. And Lord, even we see in this story tonight of Manasseh, your love for him was so great that you, you caused those things to take place in his life to bring him to that point of brokenness before you. Lord, then we see the glorious answer that you responded to his prayer from a broken, contrite, humble heart. If you're here tonight and you know that your life is not pleasing God, you either never have come to him humbly before him or you, you have but you've walked away, it's simply a matter now of responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart and come humbly. Come before your creator. Simply say in your heart, God, I, I'm sorry. Manasseh's prayer is not recorded for us. We don't know what his prayer was, but I have a feeling it was something as simple as God have mercy on me, a sinner. And simply go before God in your heart right now. Say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive my sin. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sin. All of it. So right now I give it to you. I ask that you wash it away completely. You clothe me in your righteousness. Take my guilt. Take my shame. And give me the joy and the peace of salvation. Lord God, we lift up to you now to those that we know who have hardened their hearts toward you. Lord, we do pray that it could be as, as painless as somebody simply coming and saying a word to them and they recognize that they've gone wrong and, Lord, that they would repent. But, Lord, we ask that you would do whatever it takes to bring them to that point of brokenness and repentance. Lord God, we thank you for the work that you've done in each of our lives. We thank you for the grace, for the mercy that you've extended to us. Lord, we do cry out, hallelujah. And Lord, use us with, Lord, a, re- a renewed sense of, of urgency and passion. Give us a burden for those around us who are lost, that we would share the truth with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.